You're listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Dane. Welcome back to another episode of Reach, Teach, Talk. As you are aware, we've been focusing very much on the building series, which is building a relational and remote classroom during these unprecedented times. And we've spoken with leaders in remote education and technology and education. We've talked with uh, psychologists and folks who are really keen on how to keep SEL strong in the remote classroom. We've talked to um, other educational experts and researchers, yet we really haven't talked much to the people who are the ones who are responsible for building the optimal classroom and the ones who are shouldering the weight of what it is, what it takes to pivot on a dime like they've been asked to do. And that is clearly and obviously the teachers, the educators who are being asked and required to move what they've built over the past two thirds to three quarters of the school year in their traditional brick and mortar classroom where they share space with their students to now this remote online learning uh, format. And whether it's asynchronous or synchronous, whether it's checking in every day or checking in once a week, whether it's graded or ungraded, or whether it's summative or formative assessments, whether it's public school or private school or charter school or parochial schools, all teachers across the country are feeling the immense responsibility of continuing their students' education and doing so in a way that maintains engagement, maintains a sense of of tribal classroom identity, of connection, and this is no small feat, and it's no wonder so many teachers I've talked with in the past month or so have said, look, I'm doing this, and I am absolutely in this to win it till June, and maybe even next next fall if need be, but I got to tell you, it's exhausting. This is a totally different way of teaching, and this is uh, something that is newer and more unique than I would have predicted. So, Without much further ado, I'm very excited because we have today a wonderful and talented and just very highly respected teacher, Mark Rudayev, who is here from Milken School in Los Angeles, Milken Community School. And Mark is going to speak with us today about really very candidly about the positives and some of the negatives um, that come with teaching in a remote schooling platform. And in, in this conversation, we're going to touch upon the relational elements of teaching. We're gonna to touch upon how you maintain engagement and motivation. We're gonna to touch upon how, as a teacher, you care for yourself and how you find balance um, while you have the expectations that are on you to, as I said in the beginning, to pivot um, uh, from one classroom type to this new foreign classroom type. Uh, Mark is a math teacher primarily at the middle and high school level. He also teaches French and he's also teaches an elective in finance and entrepreneurial studies. Mark is therefore a perfect teacher. And he's also, by the way, as I mentioned before, extremely well-respected in the way that he connects with his students and the, and the impact that he has. If, if I've, I've seen parent testimonials about Mark that he's shared with me over the past few years, and they are nothing short of amazing in the sense that this is a teacher who really turned my son or my daughter onto math, for example, in a way that he or she hasn't before. Um, Mark brings with him a, a background in finance, actually, and he therefore is a mid-career teacher, which will add, I think, a nice context to this conversation as well. So Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thrilled to have you. And I guess my, my 
you know, my, my first question really for you is what's, what's been the past month like for you? How much lead up time did you have to making the transition to the remote classroom? And then I know you've also been on a vacation. How's that factored into um, your gearing up for the spring? As you mentioned in your intro, it was a pretty quick turnaround. Um, the whole COVID episode obviously started really building up some steam in February. And what happened was in the middle of March, um, when it really started to get a bit more uh, noisy, as it were, on a Wednesday of that week, we actually had a, a day where the students weren't in class. It was a teacher workshop day at school. And uh, so we had had a number of meetings, both within our departments as well as throughout the school. And at the end of that day, uh, one of our last um, parting uh, statements was from the head of the school and the administration team saying that, listen, uh, we're not going to ask the students to come back to school on Thursday and Friday. Um, and therefore, you'll have two days to prepare to transition. And starting up that following Monday, um, just go ahead and uh, we'll send you out a modified schedule and you'll be expected to teach online. So basically we had um, a very, very short amount of time to prepare. Uh, then what happened was during those couple days when the students weren't on at school and we weren't at school either, uh, we obviously had a lot of uh, meetings, mainly virtually obviously with our departments and with other administrators. They sent out a modified schedule as they had promised and that Monday, we, uh, we kicked it off. Basically, normally we'd meet our classes four to five times a week, uh, depending on uh, the class. Um, and in this case, we're probably meeting them three to four times a week. So it's slightly less than what we would normally meet them. And the class times are also a bit shorter. But what we do have is office hours every single day. So we're expected to be online. Um, and the students, if they want to check in with us or if the parents want to check in, um, they, they are expected to be able to reach us during those times as well. Mark, thank you. That's a great overview because you, you, you've given me a lot to um, ask you as, as, as follow-up questions here. First of all, why, what goes into the thoughts that the, um, the class periods would be shorter? I think basically the main uh, thought was it's hard if the students are expected to be at school when we're physically there from 7:30 to 2:30 we can't expect the students to be online from 7:30 to 2:30 um because that'll be a virtually impossible task to maintain their attention for that amount of time therefore it's striking a balance of having them get enough education yet not zoning out and not just basically not being able to uh, to maintain attention for that amount of time. So it, it seems to make a lot of sense, right? Because when we're teaching in a brick and mortar classroom, we can have our students sitting for a longer period of time, knowing that we can always give them a stretch break, knowing they can always raise their hand, and go to the bathroom. Um, they can always, you know, you can do small group work. You can fit them, make, make them, meet them up in pairs. Um, just shake it up a bit where here, it's just like you and me right now, right? Like we're sitting down and we are at our desk and this can be, uh, after a while, I could get a little, I could, my attention could wander, right? Absolutely. Especially if I was 15, 13 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's actually worked well. Um, of course, we do lose a little bit of teaching time. But on the other hand, I think that, and I'm sure we'll touch upon this a bit later, in terms of the techniques that a teacher can apply, we can actually maximize some of the, the time as well in terms of what they can do outside of the 
30 to 50 minutes that we're online um, simultaneously using uh, the technology that we have. Yeah, and I would love to touch on that in the future. Um, I'm curious though, because just to, to take a step back here, it's you are operating, your school is operating in a synchronous uh, platform, correct? Yes, and I mean, we're fortunate um, being at a private uh, school where the students are expected to have a laptop. So it's a one-to-one uh, type of school. So we don't have to face those issues of many of the public schools and less fortunate environments where they may not have technology or they may not even have the internet or Wi-Fi at home. So from that perspective, at least, we didn't have to worry about those issues, uh, given that the school that I teach uh, in, uh, yeah. This is, this is a real wake-up call. I mean, this is uh, so, many, so many issues come to the surface um, during this, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic regarding education, and you hit on one right there. It's the, equi- the inequity. Um, 25% of, you, of LAUSD students either don't have access to technology or they don't have access to a Wi-Fi hotspot. So it's one or the other, which means if you don't have one, you can't have you know, this connection um, and this ability to learn remotely. And you're obviously right. It's fortunate that your students, you could count on the fact that all your students had a one-to-one uh, long before they were, you know, th- this situation occurred, right? Yeah, that's right. That would have changed the equation totally if we had to then figure that whole um, aspect you know, out. I you're know. not somebody who's been tech averse in your past. I mean, and you're also somebody who's a very curious teacher, which I know is part of why you're such an amazing teacher is that your curiosity inspires your kids to be curious as well. So that's wonderful. What has it felt like, Mark, for you? What was, is there any sort of surprises that, that, that hit you? Once we got the students, uh, the passcodes and, and the ability to log on, um, that actually went pretty smoothly. And as long as we we're sure to put some limits on what they can do and can't do, um, you might have heard that Zoom had a few uh, security breaches and they're obviously addressing that. Uh, but even aside from from those types of things in terms of making sure that emojis and, and other funny videos and backgrounds, like I have one here uh, that you can see, uh, you know, just make sure it's PG and, and school appropriate. So as long as we, we set up those boundaries early on, I think it's gone pretty well. Um, and actually, the, the other one, the other side is with the teachers and administrators. I find that Given it's new for all of us, coming from a traditional brick and mortars um, school to now online, um, I found that the amount of uh, collaboration, the amount of conversations that we've had amongst within departments and across departments and at my situation across even middle and high school um, has been increased multiple fold compared to what would normally happen in a, in a normal day or week or a month at school. So um, I find that if, if another teacher has a great idea or something that works, they're very open to share with the rest of the faculty or vice versa. If something they did didn't work or, or issues that they faced, they're going to share and then someone can, can chime in with a solution or an alternative. And so I think that that's been one of the big, big positives to come out of it is increased collaboration because we're always trying to collaborate and science and math should work together and the humanities and, and the English. And, and, and in my case, we work at a Jewish school. So we try to incorporate a Jewish studies element to, to most things. And, you know, the theory is, Oh, we can cross department collaboration, but as we all know, we get stuck in and you do your math thing and you do your French thing and you do your English thing. And then the amount of conversations that occur, uh, 
in August, September diminished tremendously. Whereas here, it's been a massive spike up. And I think that's been a great positive um, throughout all the, the issues that might have uh, occurred um, in the early days and weeks of our online teaching. What you're sharing is such a wonderful uh, example of, of a surprise in a positive way about how the online remote teaching experience has been heightened for you. If, if, I, if I'm summing this up right, you feel more connected to your, your colleagues. You feel like the ideas are being shared more briskly because you don't, because you're reminding me, it's, it's, I always call it the class five rapids of the school day. Like, right. Like we joke, like you barely have time to go to the bathroom and much less collaborate or certainly not step into a teacher and you know, your next door neighbor uh, classroom for 10 minutes. I mean, it's just, we, we just, we want to, but we just don't have that time because the classroom is often described as a silo, right? And I've, I've used that term certainly in my teaching. Like, you know, you have this incredible epiphany, eureka moment, and you just wish that there was another adult there to witness it and just say, wow, that was amazing. Um, not that, you know, having a number of, you know, 13 year olds isn't great in its own way, but there is, some, there are those times. And here it's, um, I love the, uh, the fact that you're not feeling, I, w- I would assume, and I bet a lot of our listeners would assume that the silo effect has been compounded by this because like you said earlier, you know, you're in your, your home and we're not sharing the same space, but actually perhaps if, if this can be and a takeaway from this could be for schools and for teachers listening, maybe there are ways you can really, um, you know, focus more on collaboration and not have that siloed feeling while you're working remotely. Yeah, because we're all adapting, you know, and in some ways, it's interesting if, if, if you've been teaching 25 years, 30 years, you're probably set in your ways, you've been doing the same thing, it's worked, you're successful, teachers look up to you, students look up to you, parents look up to you, but now you're stuck in this new environment that's new to you. And ironically, again, just like our, I was saying earlier, the students are very good with technology, that young teacher who's 25 or 30, who, who grew up with technology at a really young age, um, they might have tips and ideas and how to make sure that the students are, are engaged because they're much closer to that age than the 55, 60-year-old teacher who might be very good in person but may, may not be quite as good remotely. And so I don't know if Milken is, a, is an outlier, but I would hope not. And, I, and hopefully you'll, you'll have similar uh, discussions with other people you you interview and and hopefully they share the same experience because we've certainly uh, seen an uptick in in cross collaboration, which I think is is really good. Uh, whether intentional or not, there was an implication in what you just shared, Mark, that made me that triggered that we are more. This word is I think overused in today's society, but it's all positive. We're more vulnerable. Okay, mm. um, the Brene Brown and all of us, uh, you know, reinforce our humility, our our vulnerability is being exposed here. And that example you gave is is perfect because you know I'm, you know, I, I'm a teacher who's been here for 35 years, and I'm 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 and I am rightfully lauded as a phenomenal Latin teacher. And I teach Latin, and that's my identity, and I'm great at it. True, yet. I'm vulnerable because I haven't had to hit a laptop or to access, you know, um, Google Classroom or or had to, you know, even share links. Like this is this is new to me, and I have to rely on my colleagues. So, you know, breaking the shell of that kind of, um, you know, persona is is has been a, a positive corollary to this. This vulnerability of acceptance. For, and also take it a step further. We're all in this anxious, heightened 
uncertain state right now, to be quite honest, state of mind, state of heart, right? So I don't know if there's anything more you want to share. You've shared already so much about this, um, but more directly, this idea of how emotion and where we are today is factoring into how we relate to each other as colleagues. Not only do we do we have to share amongst the colleagues, but I think the other side benefit is because we're talking to the students in their own homes and the parents often are, are quarantined or, or working from home because they can't go to their, uh, to their jobs. We actually have an increased, or I found I've had an increased interaction with the parents um, over the last three weeks before our spring break in terms of sometimes the student will be in the dad's office or the mom's home office and mom or dad pops in unintentionally because they need to pick up a book or a sheet of paper or some document. And they'll say, hi, Mr. Adayev, how are you? And then you, just that 30 second interaction of whether it's before class or after class or during class, you know, it breaks it up and, and you have a, a, these informal meetings as it were that may not in and of themselves probably don't do a whole lot, but they, they help that relationship that you were talking about in the intro. And, and then when there is an issue, you, we've broken down that barrier because again, sometimes at school you might go months and months and months without ever interacting with the parent. We joke about like the cattail being seen going across the screen, right? Or the dog barking in the background or the baby crying in the background. But there's nothing like seeing a parent come in like, where is that file? Or, you know, and oh, hi, Mr. Rodayev. Like yeah. there is that informality and you're absolutely right. So, so I guess that's another question that leads into another question I had with you, which was how you build alliance um, with your colleagues. But we could add another branch and extension, which is how you build the, the alliance of these parents. Because um, I also were well aware that it could also be in, kind of intimidating for uh, a teacher to know that at any point uh, her student's parent might walk in and, and observe her teaching. And if there's a sense of insecurity with that. So how what would you advise in terms of if you were to be able to have a role in establishing a formal parent dynamic in the, in the remote teaching classroom, what would you say to the parents about how, how to respond when they come in and they observe um, a teaching session going on? I think to get back directly to your question though, is the one benefit is this happened in March. If it was in August or September, beginning of the school year, when we don't really have those relationships yet, it'd be a different story. But the fact that it, it all kicked off for us in March and we've already had six, eight months of, of historical uh, relationships with parents. And in some cases, I might have taught the, the older brother or the, or the older sister a year or two or three prior. So you already had a bit of a relationship anyways. Um, it did help make it a bit easier. Um, but it just, it's incumbent on us to be professional almost as if you were in the classroom, but you're, you're at home instead, um, rather than just saying, I'm going to be in my sweatpants and, and just take it super relaxed. Um, you have to put a little bit of pressure on yourself just to say, listen, you've got to do a lot of the similar things, communicate with the, with the parents if the student is struggling, um, whether it's via email or via phone, or now we've added this new dimension, even via Zoom 
or via Google, uh, whatever uh, methodology you're using. Yeah, it's a great point you made also about the communication and, and the new, the enhanced communication channels you have, should you wish to tap into a parent about uh, a student or whatnot, it's easier with this technology. How about for students? Are there guidelines that, that you established, that your schools established that, main, that, is, that, that needed to be set um, when, when moving to the remote classroom? I think that the key thing was in those first few days and weeks, to try to establish those norms. You know, if, if you have an agenda written up on the board normally in your classroom, well here, try to maybe have a slide or, or write it on a sheet of paper and then take a photo of it of today that we're expected to cover A, B, C, and D or the homework assignments will be problems one through 15 or, or whatever it might be. So try to do as much as you would have done in the classroom, just do it remotely. Um, again, in a math class, it's a bit easier because we tend to give homework every day, and so the students are expected to complete it. And then normally at the beginning of the following class, we would answer questions. Oh, hey, Mr. Rudayev, I didn't understand number seven. Can we go over that one? So those types of things you try to maintain, just like, uh, like you would. And, and then the last thing is on the technology, as I touched upon earlier, make sure that they try to stay PG and appropriate and you know don't have pictures in the background or don't uh, don't show things on the screen that you wouldn't feel comfortable showing in class. Would you say, Mark, that you have as much um, or less than, or more, even more perhaps, uh, sense of what, of student focus and student engagement when you're running your class, um, you know, using this format? In terms of keeping their attention, um, you just have to modify the lessons. Try to make it more punchy. Whereas normally in a class, I could tell a couple stories, go a bit off tangent. I'm there, they see me, I, I see them, I can judge their, their, um, their facial expressions. Their, are they yawning? Are they wandering? Here, I, you know, I'm, I've got all this photos or, 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 or uh, screenshots lined up, but it's not quite the same thing. So you just have to make it more punchy. Um, and not only that, we're, we're forced to because we have less class time anyways, but even if we had the same amount of time, you, you can't expect to ramble on and, and talk as much and, and give all the side stories that you might be able to do in person. So just try to get to the point faster than, than not. Excellent. So I'm thinking, I mean, when, I, when I'm reflecting on our conversation this far, Mark, I'm thinking about how we've touched upon the connection. We've touched upon different in, enhanced ways of communication. Um, there's been some creativity that we've had to, uh, in order to make things punchier, as you just said, how to be creative and keep them engaged. Um, there's a collaboration part that has to do with parents and, and, and them being more of a um, in kind of a, a focus than, than certainly, as you mentioned correctly, that they are in, in the regular brick and mortar school. Um, and, and there's also been this sense of vulnerability and humility that comes with um, all of us having to, you know, the tide having to rise all ships. Um, we're all in this together. And, uh, and then, of course, the, out, the outer, you know, broader uh, landscape that we're all, that we're all, you know, kind of anxiously and uncertainly um, li living in right now. All of this, let, let's just pretend that it's all over in terms of the remote teaching requirement. Like, what are some lessons that you think we have all learned through this experience that we can apply once we get back to quote unquote normal life? The one thing that I'll try to take away and, and, and probably implement, whether we're, we're in person or heaven forbid, but what if we were still remote come, uh, come the new school year, um, is a hybrid type of model. So fortunately for math, a subject like algebra 
algebra two, geometry, even pre-calc, calc. These are well-trodden paths. Um, there's, there's plenty of online resources, videos, materials that are available for those types of curriculum because they're very well established. Even French, French one, French two, French three, or AP it's, class. It's cumulative. It builds upon itself. There's a tried and true kind of, right? Yeah, that's right. So, so, and not only that is there's certain expectations that in order to go from algebra to geometry or geometry to algebra two, you need to have covered this, 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 this. You need to have mastered these skills. Um, and to get from French one and French two, same story. You have to know these verbs, this vocab, et cetera, et cetera. So the great thing there is there's plenty of online resources that are already pre-existing that one can use and sort of flip the classroom around. So that's what I've been trying to do a bit more of is try to find the, the online material. I try to come up with, uh, with videos that I find applicable, push it to the students ahead of time. Those that want to review it before the class period can, I don't make it mandatory at this point because we're not a flipped classroom school necessarily, but I've been given the freedom to, to do that and I'm, I'm testing it out and it's actually working quite well. Um, so I, I'd like to do that and then in the future probably even create my own videos so I can really tailor it to how I'd like to teach. Obviously with this 48 hour turnaround, I didn't have time to do that, but I, I'm, I'm able to go online, spend an hour to try to find something that's appropriate and push it out to the students. So I think that's something I'd like to take away and incorporate come the new school year. Um, and whether I have time over the summer to create my own content or whether I've, I've got something laid out for the full year's content through stuff that's already been created, I think I'll use that. And the benefit is then once we are in class, whether it's physically or remotely, I can spend a lot more time with the students going over the problems, going, going over the exercises. Um, or even, you might even know this capability in Zoom, the breakout rooms. So we're able to uh, basically split the students up. You choose how many students per room. It can be as low as two. It can be as many as a dozen, however many you want. And you can assign them randomly. Zoom can create them randomly. Or you can assign them uh, according to uh, these students are at this level, so we should put them in one room. And these students are at another level, we can put them in another room. And then you as a teacher can hop into the rooms. The students are talking amongst themselves, working through the the problem or the group project or whatever you're, you're doing. And, uh, and it really forces them to, to work together uh, without having distractions of if you're in the classroom, you might have the four tables there with, with students and then other tables there with the other students. But as we know, 13, 14 year old attentions can, can wander a bit. And so before you know it, you thought you had created different groups, but it tends up being back one, one big group. So those are some of the things that I like to take uh, into the new school year, uh, whether we're remote or whether we're back in person. Mark, those are excellent, absolutely awesome takeaways that any teacher listening would, would hopefully be writing down right now and just in, in nodding, at least nodding in agreement. Um, you know, it's, it's wonderful having you here uh, today on this episode, Mark. You're a wonderful voice to, to and, and actually this is a very, it was more of a hope-filled um, and positive, actually, reflection on how remote teaching has been for you. Thank you so much, Mark, for being with us today and for just sharing, just beautifully sharing what it is to be in the footsteps in the shoes of a teacher who is making that move from brick and mortar to remote teaching. And best to you during the rest of this uh, spring of the school year. Thanks a lot, Nat.
You've been listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com.